This is a warning, another cut to move on. Another beat that's so strong, hold on, and I get wicked in this song. Stir up shit as the wit gets wisdom. Episode three, coming into the third quality here. We got some upgrades we're bringing for the podcast. It's George Costa and Rich Pelton, Renan Design Group and Tangent in the house. So, Rich, how's it been going? It's going good. Hold on, wait. This thing on? My, my upgrades. <laughs> I listened to the feedback or the sound from the, the last one and the phone. The phone phone gig definitely didn't cut it. It was uh, like the Canadians would say, a little janky. So I went to Best Buy and upgraded the equipment. I'm back. I'm ready. Um, yeah, missed your missed your solo show, but it was pretty good actually. I listened to it again today to kind of make make sure if we if you touched on it that I would uh I would remember. So uh, you, you did a really good job. Though. I was I was it was a good listen. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I know you were really busy the last couple of weeks with stuff going on at the shop and everything, and uh, I wanted to get something out kind of regularly. Um, so I just decided there was some topics that were online that were kind of bothering me, and I wanted to get into it and just you know give my opinion about those certain things. Speaking of that, it was regarding pro sponsorship and uh, you're somebody who has pro sponsorship for Tangent. I don't know if you want to give your kind of perspective on, you know, why you go about doing that as far as a means of advertising. But, you know, if you if you want to say a few things, you know, now's your time. Speaker uh, forever. Hold your peace. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there, there's a bunch of I, I'd like you to list it out all the topics you had on here. And there's like good eight, eight or so topics. But yeah, if you want to um talk about the uh sponsorships uh it, everybody kind of approaches it different but you know sponsoring riders is you know one way we do it it's it's how most sport is done you know they have athletes sponsored baseball football i mean they're you're sponsoring athletes to play ball for you you're sponsoring drivers to race your cars or at, at all levels you know so um it's no different from bmx the difference is just how much money we can spend on that sponsorship you know like uh you use some 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 words uh negative zero, zero gains you know we don't sponsorship for zero how many frames does you know nick adams have to sell for his new new pro contract you know uh, i mean he's on a rookie deal this year to see how he does but if he kills it next year like what you know what do we have to pay to keep him bigger brands with more money are going to come after him i'm sure so our deals aren't real big in the grand scope of things i wouldn't think um, we try to do the best we can but we don't have giant outside sponsors giving us a bunch of money so we have to earn it look at what we're going to spend and go you know what what are they going to turn you know what's going to be our roi on, on that athlete and it's hard to we don't do it exactly per athlete because we kind of made a team so the team helps a whole presence and then you kind of have you know your pros like your premier promotional item you know he's the guy that most the eyes are on them you know the older amateurs but yeah the value is like you know just uh We'll just use Nick for an example, and just because his name's the newest, uh, you know, so he got to sell 200 frames a year to cover his deal. Is is are 200 kids buying his, are buying frame 200 kids buying frames to be like Nick Adams? I mean, there's, it's it's not even quantifiable. I don't even know how to to do it. We just kind of throw it out there and and hope for the best. We don't know which which of our marketing people have asked whatever marketing does better. We sponsor the, we're title sponsor for USA BMX. We have a amateur race team we have professional athletes here in the states we have professional athletes overseas we co-sponsor race teams you know what uh, what does what how much is worth it if you could cut something what would you cut so we have that discussion almost every year but it's hard to really put a finger on it when you've been doing it so long it's just like a, it's a the group effort and we don't really know what drives what there's no way to really track it honestly yeah i i definitely agree i think uh 
you know, it, it, it is tough to measure unless something does cut out like that. And obviously it would be, you know, uh, the people listening would probably be like, no, don't, don't, don't cut what's going on right now. Like we like what's going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, like, no, I no. personally know, like, and we had these discussions in the past from having the factory team that I felt, you know, when we started the factory team and kind of had those years of buildup and everything, we had a lot of brand recognition and, you know, and, and, you know, it was the, a team I would hope that people wanted to be on. And uh, it was like this come up that, you know, you're climbing the mountain and then we got to the top and there really wasn't anywhere else to go. And when we did decide to, when I decided to back away from the team, because the team still exists as answer BMX right now. But when I decided to do that, I didn't necessarily see this huge fall off in support. If anything, you know, we we keep on carrying that momentum and we've had some of our best sales years ever without really, you know, diving into that. But speaking of that, like I felt the need to want to come back. And that's why I, you know, worked with Brandon Crane over the winter. And uh, granted, like I don't want to go and and really deal with a, a big factory team effort like we did before, because if I go to that level and do that, I'm going to try to fucking win it again. Like that's <laughs> right, right. And and you know, as you know, because like a yeah. lot of our riders came from tangent, you know, sorry, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we did headhunt quite a bit. Every, and every I was once very while, impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because so, we don't we don't always have like the hardest hitters, you know, the hired guns. We're more of a culture brand. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to call it, you know, we just we build culture and lifestyle and and yeah. we're racing while we're doing it. So it's never, you know, winning, it's not a winning isn't everything attitude, but yeah, you know, we, we sure. want winners, and but the, to get to our squad, you've already got to be, you know, definitely on the radar. It's not about putting in resumes and, you know, who do we talk to. It's we find you. You know, you're not, you're not going to f- find us. It's not yeah. not normally how it works. We we keep our eyes open, um, but usually it's um, you know up and comers. Every once in a while, we'll get a kid that's you know already winning, but they're usually kind of already on the cusp of being there. You know, like they're already well into expert, many many years into expert, put many many years you know behind the bars and they're on their way to the top and then we like to, you know, maybe grab them then and get them, get them all the way up there with, with our support and with our support system. And then once in a while, you know, a team like, like, um, who did you guys grab from us? Dustin, you know, he's like, Hey, he's going to, they're, you know, basically that, that deal, they're going to fly me all over. They're going to chase the title. I think that's something I'd really be interested in. But yeah, Yeah. we said, yeah, no, go, go knock that out. It's nothing, no skin off our teeth. We, we want to see you succeed in what you want to do. And and that was awesome. And, and he, you know, he achieved that goal with you guys. And that's really, really cool. And he's, uh, he's a good kid. So there was no hard feelings there because we weren't chasing titles. We didn't really care. It yeah. was, you know, it's a, it's a marketing loss, but it wasn't, it wasn't a friendship loss. And yeah, you know, we're, yeah. still, but we're all still buddies to this day. So as long as they're not la- lateral moves, we've never really had big lateral moves, you know, like kind of move over to the to left for the same thing. It's, it's usually upgrades uh, with yeah. someone that can, that's doing something a little different. Like you guys were at that time, chasing titles. Um, yeah. Some, some of our kids won't even leave for that. Cause they don't want that pressure. They don't want to deal with it. You know, it's just, it's not fun. These are still kids, mind you. Um, yeah, no, necessarily sure. that pressure, but it is uh, a difficult thing to deal with having been at that level and, and uh, expecting that. And, but at the end of the day, like, you know, when you're, sitting there and you're making these promises and you know we always followed through with what we said we were going to do and and when you start doing the math on things you know it can it can start costing quite a bit you know you're talking five to ten thousand dollars per rider to you know have that kind of serious effort and you know at least that's probably a low number i mean really yeah yeah and uh you know but you know not everybody can handle that either not everybody wants that pressure 
So I yeah. totally understand that. And I, I went after, you know, at the time, everybody in the sport pretty much. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we had to, because we had, to, if you wanted to win, we had to do this like buckshot type of approach and try to get people. And, right. you know, some, it worked out in some regards and it didn't in some regards, you know, we only had like, we had riders like Jack Kelly that we pulled from GT, but we only had him for a year. And, uh, you know, it was pretty upsetting when they left. Uh, no hard feelings really with the rider or the, the, the family, but, you know, it was just like having, having put that much effort into something and then have that and, and do everything you said you're going to do, you know, and yeah. have success and then, ha and, and hope that, okay, this is one of the, this is one of the four boys that's going to help carry us. And then, and then lose that after putting all that in it's, it gets pretty hard um for yeah, sure. sure and yeah i mean that's kind of why i don't do it right now but if i ever did come back you know bet your ass i'd be i'd be doing it the way i did before <laughs> right right just head on yeah uh, uh, we actually uh we had quite a few people from tangent um because we had gotten dustin hammond we had gotten Derek berg and we had gotten cody kushinsky all three oh yeah, yeah yeah true true all oh yeah three of those like guys really year, did help your gap out. yeah yeah, yeah. So for sure, like you guys had a you know good squad, and we just you know we had them for a little while, then we you know, uh, then did you, what we did with it. So. Then you burn them out, and then they quit. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, then I burned them out. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Put them to pasture at an early age. Um, no, yeah. It's, uh, it's really, but, but it is you know it is tough to justify you know spending this kind of money and and then realizing the return on what's going on. So we're all just trying to figure out you know, how best to spend the money that we have because, yeah. you know, um, money is a finite thing in the sport right now. So, um, you know, it's good to get your perspective on that. I know you, you have quite a few, not only Nick Adams, but you have, you know, these French riders and, uh, yeah, um, yeah. and I mean, and a, South know, Americans 12, and stuff like that. Canadians, 12 man amateur team. I think we have an East coast team and a West coast team, but I think we just kind of look at, and it's a loose number. I mean, we still, we're a small company, man. We're just four or five people here, and uh, you know, I don't, there's not a lot of science behind it. We're kind of shooting from the hip all the time. We're overwhelmed all the time. Uh, we're growing all the time, so it's tough. You know, we have one employee to two employee to three employee to four employee to one machine, two machine, three machine. You know, it's just <laughs> and you know, we're not we're just dudes in a room. We're just regular people that have been doing it a long time. I mean, we're not you know dummies, but it's still yeah. We're at, we're you know we hit these growing stages where you're doing X amount of dollars, and then. Then you're doing okay. Well, you, you're stalled out, so you need to spend X amount of dollars to do the next X amount of dollars. So yeah. things get scary. But back to the sponsorship, you know, we kind of just look at a number, and say, okay, I think it's going to cost about this much. Is this going to be worth it? And like, okay, well, we'll continue on. And you know, it's like, okay, for pros, we have this much. You know, we divide it in between a couple guys or 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 one, but more we're more we more we don't have like the number one guy. You know, the you know the Joris or the the Connor of that day. You know, the the top mm -hmm. top guy, but maybe the like the regions there, the area is best. You know. So there's still a you know viable sponsorship there and uh, people looking at them. And then I think one thing we did last year was uh, I worked with Stephen Smith on a deal with him to be a content manager. And we, we kind of, you know, like they have team of the year and all that kind of voting. We fell off of that a little bit just because it's hard to stay. Even when you're spending all this money, are you, are you getting the reach you need, you know, or just having kids show up at the race is that enough when you have Instagram and, all this kind of stuff, like how valuable is that? You know, these kids posting or posting these kids. And we, so I just made a little more investment last year on getting social media side cleaned up and better and more frequent and active and better content. And sure enough, you know, then we're in the top three frame of the year, top 
three team of the year uh, or, you know, we were top three points of the year. So, you know, it's like, yeah. did that, did that help? I have to think that helped more than anything because the same, same amount of riders, same amount of everything. But the one year, the next the only thing we changed was pushing that uh, image and that lifestyle out a lot better than we had in the past. So um, that was something that we did that, um, that was kind of cool. I mean, I, you still, it's still hard to, to really know what works still. There's still just so many moving pieces. Yeah, um, it is. It's crazy. You know, I mean, big business. It's hard to keep track of and know what's doing what, really. Yeah, I did. Uh, obviously, we we won uh, Gold of Crank Team of the Year twice, and but I did the team for eight years. And uh, when every single year when Golden Crank came around, it was like so stressful. It was just I just literally guerrilla marketed it, like hitting up people on Facebook Messenger, like, "Hey, you know, I appreciate you to vote for the team," <laughs> you know, stuff like that. We took out a couple of paid ads, to, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we never we've never done that. We've just. We've just been around so long. We're such a culture team, culture yeah. brand, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but I've just and I just never cared. We just we just do what yeah. we do. We take it yeah. or leave it. We're working really hard. We do the best we can for everyone around us, and hopefully that's enough. And I think you know, in my perspective and my happiness about what we've done, I think that you know our squad, our people, our families, the people that have been around us, supported us over the years. I think we're all pretty happy, you know, with, with what we've done and accomplished over the years. So, um, yeah, yeah so you definitely it's, have a following. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, you have the cartel, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's sure. a cool thing, you know, um, for sure. But uh, you um, were at the last couple of races here. So yeah. we had uh, Santa Clara and I did Santa Clara, Oregon. Yeah. They cruised up over to Oregon. Um, both really good races, both West Coast. Um, the California races have been kind of hit and miss with the rider count. You just never know. I don't know why. I mean, the re the ridership out here is huge. Northern California, especially, is massive. It has like the number one and number two track of the nation. Yeah. Um, with uh, Oak Creek BMX and Powell, and only you know, I don't know, hundred miles from each other. So the between the Sacramento Valley here um, and and the Bay Area, I mean, there's huge ridership. And then for some reason, the nationals aren't always that big anymore. I'm, I'm not really sure why. Uh, I've been around a long time and heard lots of reason. I just can't really put a finger on it. But this one was decent. I think it was, you know, it was in the 250 range. So that was good. Uh, that facility is awesome. Those guys have done a great job. Nick Valencia and them have done a really good job out there with it. Um, but uh, there's some kind of controversy surrounding that, though, isn't there? Yeah, like, uh, I mean, that's a whole different topic. I don't know what the deal is there. I think the the Pal Santa Clara. I mean, I kind of know, but it's not anything that I'd want to yeah. bother with. It's uh, Santa Clara Pal not getting along with uh, the crew over there accusing them of certain things and just weird stuff uh, i don't know money greed selfishness i i don't really yeah, know it's uh, too I've bad heard, i've heard too many stories and it's just not something i'm gonna even yeah entertain. and I've told, I I've told a lot of people it's, like, it's all too much opinions and or hearsay and i just i hope to see it and get it back going or at least they're another location because you know it's my business and it's my passion so i mean i don't want to see a a number a top top two track in the nation just disappear because of the greed of people yeah for sure i mean I've, i tell people all the time that uh you can have the best bmx track in the nation but it's only good as long as the people who are running it are still there you know and yeah. um as far as i know they're all volunteer based like they all just bust their ass out there for nothing and then they're just having problems with that uh the pal uh, yeah police athletically whoever owns a property or runs a property or how, who they run it through whatever it's just too many hands yeah it is me. 
It's uh, definitely a difficult thing. Like be, being a BMX track operator, I, I did it for three years in the early, early 2000s. Um, I took over a track here in Massachusetts, uh, literally on 9-11, uh, the, the day that it happens. And then I oh. ran it for three years. And uh, towards the end, it was just so brutal. It was like it was like having another full time job. And, uh, you know, I had to walk away from it because it was just too much and no help from anyone. And the track's still running now. A couple of guys are, are trying to do stuff, but it's a thankless job. And uh, it is, it is, uh, you know, my condolences to everyone out there who runs the track. It's, <laughs> it's not easy. It's tough, man. <laughs> See Tyler Brown turn around San Diego has been pretty cool. Yep. Um, we've got new, uh, over the last couple of years, have new operators uh, here in the Oak Creek BMX and the Oak Creek BMX in the Sacramento Valley here, Roseville. Yeah. And they've turned this program around and it's, it's awesome. Uh, just, it's got a great vibe again. The moto counts are high again. Uh, so that's really good. Yeah. It's really about the operators. And, and again, yeah, it's thankless. They, I mean, they're not, they're nonprofit. They're not pulling much money out of it all for themselves. As far as I understand, it's all just trying to put it back and build, build ridership and programs for riders. They have free, free race nights, every, you know, every quarter, just putting in, putting in the work and it's hard. I, I wouldn't want to do it. People ask, you know, like, Hey, why don't you and TJ, why don't you make a tangent track? We're like, are you freaking crazy? Like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> no part of that. I don't want to touch a shovel. Like, I don't yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. it's it's thankless. It's definitely thankless. Oh God, it's rough. Yeah. But but, uh, uh, but yeah. But anyways, the race the race went good. It was it was a good race. Good turnout. Um, I go down shoot some photos. Our shop was obviously there. Did okay um, sales wise with what we can get. Um, getting products still a problem. Um, and then uh, yeah, I was home for a week. Then cruised up to Oregon. Uh, that race is always fun. That one, another one hit. 250 250 ish i think the record was 260 something and we they almost hit that it's a little indoor arena it's uh, up in redmond oregon just north of bend so it's up in the it's kind of the high desert of uh, oregon so you go through the mountains and once you hit bend you kind of come down the south the north side of bend you, it goes into just flat i mean you're still at like four thousand feet but it's just flat um but really I want to say that that's the last time i officially raced was the oregon oh, national really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah it was hilarious i was uh i raced cruiser and i remember being in staging and i'm you know practicing and stuff and some dad i don't even know who he is but he uh I, it was it was obviously for motos and and i was going up and and you know racing and and he stops me and he's like i didn't know you were expert and i'm like <laughs> what the fuck do you think i was <laughs> he was like Bro. i didn't even know you raced and I'm Absolutely. like, well, I've been riding for a long time. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just funny when, uh, when people, when people see you as just like the company person, and yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't know like your background on things. Uh, it was the same way when I first started the Answer Running team. Uh, one of the girls on the team, uh, we were down in Tennessee for practice, and I just happened to jump. In. I used to jump in the practices every now and then and ride and. And I came back to the pit and uh, it was Bailey Brandon. Uh, she was like, I didn't know you could ride a bike. And I'm like, I'll beat your ass. <laughs> she was 12 years old. I'm like, let's go. Come on. <laughs> yeah. People so, don't know I raced either. Same kind of thing, especially now I haven't raced since 2000, but I, I mean, I raced pro for seven or eight years. I want to yeah. say retired in 2000. I mean, I, I wasn't super serious about it, but I was a solid a pro. I had, five or six a pro wins and when i retired in 2000 i was 30 and racing vet pro and i had vet pro wins i mean i was i was nice. okay i was legit ish um but yeah the oregon race again back to oregon just 
it went really good. It's a really, it's, I mean, if people have never been, it's a, it's a great race. It's a, the floor is around the same size as Vegas, just a little longer. So you get a little more track, but it's quick and it's tight, but there's only 250 motos. So it's over really early. So, I mean, you're out of there at like three, four o'clock, you can go into Bend and hang out and, you know, Bend's a cool little uh, mountain city or just hang out. You know, it's nice to be able to hang out at the races. Like you don't yeah. get to do that a lot. You're just there burn out till nine, 10 o'clock. And, just people got to rush their kids to bed and they're up at 6 a.m. to do it again. Yeah. It's such a burn. I, I feel terrible. I, I, I haven't had to be like a regular person in BMX almost ever in my life. Um, but when I'm out shooting photos and I'll walk back and see people that with no pitch, just been sitting in the same spot for three freaking days. You know, I go back to a, you know, trailer or team pits that are massive. And, you know, we've got living in our, or, you know, living quarters in our, in our racing trailer or our vending trailer even. So you, yeah. know, you can be comfortable if you want. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, I feel awful for these people and doing that. You know, I don't even remember what that's like, yeah. <laughs> but so this race, you get out early and go hang out and uh, it's really good atmosphere. It's a good, it's a good fun race for people who haven't gone. Oregon's uh, definitely one. I, I wouldn't call it a bucket list race, but I mean, if you've always, if you've ever been considering it, it's a, uh, it's legit. It's a yeah, fun race. It was time. a bucket. It was a bucket list race for me. It was one yeah. of these stops that's been on the circuit for so long and it's in the Northwest. And you know, when you're from Massachusetts, like you never get a chance to see some, something yeah. like that. Yeah, so true. Yeah, we just definitely, uh, yeah, I did it once and I think that was it. Um, it reminds me of the inside a lot of Reno because I, yeah. I loved the Similar. Reno race. But the town yeah. is totally like, you know, northwest town. But yeah, um, you gotta go into Bend. Bend is a lot nice. We actually made it into Bend with the bikeaholics guys a couple nights and had a couple good dinners. So that was fun. You know, nice. we, especially us at the you know, running the pro shop. We we leave or we actually stay there, but we're not even we gotta wait till pretty much everyone's gone. So you know, everyone's done shopping, then we can wrap up the trailer. Uh, get it all shut down, and that's you know, a couple hours after the last moto. So we're even there stuck there longer. So yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Uh, I know we had talked earlier, um, talking about uh, what we were gonna battle on about today, and you're talking about that that new gate that they, yeah, uh, uh, the new national gate. Yeah, it's uh, made by Andy Contes, yeah, Andy uh, the Contes. Greek, and uh, it's got Contes Engineering Gate, and it seemed to be getting a lot of buzz. This is one of those things that um, I had no idea something like that was happening and then all of a sudden it just appears on like the national circuit and yeah same you know and i was, I was like shocked. what the hell <laughs> and and i almost thought it was like the pro gate style that was famously in the magazine where all of the gates were dropping at different times yeah i thought and same thing i yeah, went straight over there exactly like, Ron, what is this gate yeah <laughs> I made, yeah they run it for me and everything so i could do videos of it just uh for instagram yeah you know, excited yeah. people were really wanted to know and i think it was some of my highest like followed and like i uh, put story or you know questions on there would you do what do you think some of the the, the most feedback of any of my stories ever were on that <laughs> gate <laughs> nice. you know the last three years it had some of the highest responses and actually people actually voting or clicking the button yes or no or hate it you know i haven't had that much there's like five six hundred people yeah click the button where normally it's nothing like that so. yeah i was super pumped to see it because for those who don't know um you know especially if you're a newer racer in the sport andy contas is one of these guys that rode for the firm gt back Way in the back. 90s and he yeah. was a nasty amateur and yeah, you know super dead. super fast but then decided to go to uh, I think it was Arizona State for en mechanical engineering. So he's 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 one of my kind. He's a, uh, an engineer, and he's done a few things over the years. He had a, a really unique 
frame wrapped head tube design that I think his master's thesis was on. And uh, then he did that uh, quad bike, uh, the four wheel independent suspension pedal bike. Um, yeah, he's and, done a few things. I, I'm not familiar with all of them, but yeah, he's been doing stuff for, for yeah. some time now. And now there's this gate, which it seems like uh, USA BMX has adopted as their traveling gate and uh, seems pretty interesting. Uh, individual, uh, very, very safe. There's a bunch of videos of it, like going down on like cantaloupes and watermelons and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of kind of cool. But I thought that it'd be interesting to talk about. So, well, what was your impression of it? Um, it just looks weird. It's just so weird looking, um, after seeing a gate a certain way for 30 plus years to look at something, it just, uh, I don't know. I, it just looks so weird to me. And the first thing I thought was the videos of that gate that psh, psh, they're, they're all on different settings or what they're all on their own Rams or whatever would happen to where they, they weren't falling at the same time. I was like, how is this possible? I literally, yeah. as soon as I saw it, went down, stopped setting up, walked over down, all the way around to the front of the, you know, the starting gate made ron come with i go ron come on ron's the truck driver gate operator it's like ron come on made him stop what he was doing so i could watch that thing work and have him explain to me what how it all works so they can't fall they they can't fall independently because they're all mounted to a single pipe that goes all the way across you know like a two inch pipe you know galvanized or something and they're all basically bolted or mounted to that single pipe so once it releases one they're all on the same pipe So, so that that was cool they I put my foot on it, um, you know, to give it some flex test and, and me, you know, 210 pound dude, it seemed pretty flexy, but, uh, I talked to a lot of the riders and I guess with a bike on it, it wasn't no issue. And it was, but it was super fast, like so quick, like you're not catching that gate when it goes yeah. down. No one's wheels even close to it. Not even possible. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's actually, uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually loaded down with springs. So yeah, I don't know gate. how strong the springs are. I don't know if those are for the bounce back or to pull them down. I'm not really. No, sure that's the pull them down for sure. Is pull them down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's for sure. That's why it's dropping as fast as it is. Okay. Gotcha. So they, they, from what I can see, um, there's a mechanism just below the gate on the round tube and that, uh, acts as like a stop. So when the gate comes up, the whole tube rotates and it pushes the gate up into position. So uh-huh. then when the gate drops, this tube, you know, basically rotates downward and that's the, the that's the stop of the gate and the spring is pulling the gate and coming with it. But the thing is, is that the gate isn't rigidly attached to this tube that's rotating so that if something does happen and, you know, your foot or your arm or whatever gets caught, the only thing that's hitting you, your foot or, or whatever is this gate itself and the, the, the tube, which is connected to the air piston that's driving and has all that force just uh-huh. continues on going. Uh, it's kind of like he, breaks away almost. Right. Right. So, like a breakaway almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I think it, you can think of it like a ratchet in a freewheel. It's kind of like that. So he didn't get that technical with it. And I didn't notice that, but I understand what you're saying. I, I know Ron was saying he, it was a lot safer and they like that fact. And he's like, dude, he's a, a good two, three kids a year lose their fingers on gates, you know, in the nation. Like, are you serious? Like, I mean, I know it's happened, but I'm like, yeah, a lot like that much yeah. seems like a lot, you know? Um, he's like, and we can't take around, you know, like a pro start gate with the, you know, the drum and the, or the barrel barrel gate, yep. something like that. It's just, it's too much to take and mount. They just, they can't do it. Yeah. So yeah. I guess they're looking for an option that wasn't. Yeah. So this one definitely massive. looks very, very portable. It looks very light. It, so. It's actually heavier. I did ask oh, really? that. Oh. Yeah. They said it's heavier, but, um, 
I guess the safety features are what kind of sold them on it, I guess. Uh, so yeah, that's, that was a uh, feedback from the kid. No one had any complaints. Uh, I didn't really, I asked a few kids while I was there and no one really, they're just like, ah, oh, that's fine. So, I nice. Mean, no, no one made a big hoopla about it. That was racing. So I think, uh, I think it's good. I know they had one failure. They had one stoppage. I don't remember why, um, but Andy was on hand, I guess. And he, um, Went out there, got her fixed back up, and they made the national. Which that's it's a lot. That's a lot on a gate. A national. It's a lot on a gate. It's a lot on a track. Yeah. Uh, it, it people outside looking in might not think about it, but you know I've watched local tracks just get decimated from a national. Like they just fall apart. Like they look, they're hard packed when you get there, and just crumbling and breaking down. The gates, the ramps overheated. The electronics have overheated. So much stuff at local tracks can go wrong. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, you know, just because uh, I was in uh, the meeting that the, the, the national puts on them, just twenty four seven, just pounding. But uh, yeah, it went, went really smooth. It seemed like they they did all right. So we'll we'll see how the future. I think they're out in Louisiana, like the Louisiana right now. That I imagine, I think it's a pop up track there. How do we know these? I think Louisiana started today, I believe. Yeah, it did. All right, so now moving on to the business section of the podcast, uh, business. Wanted to follow up with you and see what's been going on over at Tangent. I'm going to let you know what's been going on over at Renin for the last month or so. And uh, so what you got going on besides going to uh, races? We are kind of business as usual. Uh, we're coming into summer tour. Uh, TJ and the and the Nevises took off last week for Louisiana. I think that's what I was talking about. Louisiana started today. I'm like, well, yeah, because I've talked to them. So, yeah, they, they took off uh, last week. TJ, they all drove, TJ and the Nevis, you know, they have two separate rigs. They drove down to Louisiana and uh, got set up there, and they're doing the national there. And he's on a, I want to say, eight- or nine-week tour. So our uh, Riders Pro Shop goes from Atlanta to uh, Tulsa. They're going to do a state race in Fort Worth, then like uh, cruise back to Albuquerque, maybe hit the Bellflower state race on the way home, and then he's back up here for a while. We've got... Ukiah State Race, then the Bend, uh, Bend State Races with the Pro Am, and then they're over to Washington. So I mean, we're just hitting the thick of it um, with tour. And then here at the shop, we are man still slinging those frames daily. Tons going out, which is a good thing. Lots of, making lots of kids stoked. Yeah, talk um, about that. You had a huge. How many frames came in uh, on um, that shipment? That was an order of seven hundred, but it wow. came in two shipments. We by like another business and finance i mean we can't it's hard to afford 700 frames all at once you know it's it's a lot so yeah. we ordered 700 and we just make them have them come in two batches about 90 days apart so we kind of get through the first run and then you know have money for the second run so that was the second part of the 700 so that was 350 that came in and um uh yeah so i mean just dealing with that got them got them in got them put away got them uh online and been pumping those out uh the cnc mills uh the one still cranking gears non-stop as normal we just switched the big vf3 over making some chain tensioners while we get ready we're gearing up for cranks we've uh you know we have we have a little guy crank as well and we have a out of made for a couple shoot man maybe even a couple years now we just kind of stopped after covid everyone got so busy and it's like, oh, you know, U.S. production, oh, six to eight months. I'm like, well, shit, that sucks. And 
looked at Taiwan. They're like, oh, a year. And I'd, I really like making the aluminum. If we can make U.S. aluminum here, I'd like to do it here. Yeah. So I just kind of we just kind of stalled on it. And that was part of the reason we got the machine. But then we got so busy making stems and all that other stuff that it kind of got pushed off. So we just ordered all the tooling, um, tooling, tool holders, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, over the last couple of weeks. And we're going to start our crank venture uh beginning of next month our program will come in we'll set that all up so that'll be interesting uh, i like making new stuff uh, i like going back there we're making the new stuff and then once it's production gotta let the other guys handle it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like work once they're standing the all day but I, but I love that i love when it's new and we're you know we're working on the fixtures and working out the quirks and the problems and i mean they're all proven programs but still you know um so yeah so that's gonna be interesting um and then we've got some other stuff our, uh, where carbon bars are wrapping up and like I think the three and the four inch are done so we're going to start air shipping a little bit over here and then a C shipment and our carbon forks we've got about 450 units done they're just getting ready to wrap up uh, putting on graphics we got a little behind getting the graphics to them and changed a couple things and um, so our carbon forks are coming here pretty quick things that we've been waiting on saying oh here they're coming they're coming they're coming but again because of COVID delays and price changes. It's such a nightmare doing anything new. It's it's crazy right now. But but I mean we just just hurry up and wait and then it'll come. So as long as business is okay, I don't get too antsy anymore. You know, like yeah. our frames were shit six, seven months late. And it just just basically just gotta get a mindset just to give up on timelines. It's just as long as we're still in business, you know, not because we're so diverse with the shop, in-house, local trailers, regional regional work. And then, you know, we make lots of different parts and we can sell anyone's brand that it's really stabilized us. So as long as we're stable, I don't even fuss anymore. Just yelling at the vendors or yelling at the agencies. It doesn't doesn't help. Not that I yeah. yell, but, you know, like just riding them, riding them. Yeah. Ride. It doesn't it doesn't speed anything up. And I found that when you do speed it up, you end up getting a shitty quality or I'm just sure. shit goes wrong, you know, because they're like, oh, well, you know, hey, you didn't send me my QC photos. Yeah, you know, we knew you were in a rush for it. So we just sent it out like this. I'm like, okay, sweet, because it's wrong. So <laughs> I basically just stop, stop rushing them. Like, give me a date. Oh, cool. January for, okay, cool. Oh, it's February. Okay. And now it's March, but it's coming someday, right? So luckily I've had good relationships with my vendors. Um, I don't pay up front anymore. So take as long as you guys want <laughs> as long as my money's not sitting there i don't i don't care anymore nice. get, we'll get it it'll sell we'll be fine so, and and um, this folks is why i can't do anything overseas i it's do rough. not have that personality <laughs> yeah it's right no, it, it took time and and when my you, ass would be getting on a plane to like, go into taiwan or china no I've i mean like that. when I've they piss me that. off i'd be going over there not to go too far <laughs> away but I, I have done that. Our first batch of frames we made in Taiwan, uh, they're like, okay, we think they're good. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, can you send like, Well, we can't send samples right now. We got to tack. I'm like, okay, they're tacked. I go, so they're, they're assembled. You can assemble them. Well, yeah, we can assemble them. Like, okay. Well, can you assemble? And now you have, you know, inch and eight style and, and pro style, you know, 20 inch, inch seven, five style. And like, okay, well, can you assemble them completely and take pictures and measure and do spec and all that? And they're like, we don't have parts to build bikes. I'm like, what do you mean in a parts? Like, well, the frame vendor makes frames. They don't, they build a frame to your spec. They don't have bike wheels sitting around and handlebars. I'm like, well, you have stuff, the agency. We don't have all that shit laying around. And then they really don't. I've been over there 11 times. Yeah. So um, they don't, they don't have that stuff laying around. They can't just build a bike unless you like, we'll go buy a complete bike, put the shit on. I go, okay, well, you know what? 
what's it? I go, I'm going to be there in two days and I'll, I'll I'm going to buy a ticket. And I'll come there and I'll assemble myself. They're like, what really? I'm like, yeah, you, know, you can't have you building my first 500 frames and Wrong. the bottom rack could be three inches off the ground or, you know, whatever the case yeah. may be. So I flew there two days later and assembled every single size, every bike, put every size on cranks on every bike. I, I flew two bags of shit, an inch and an eighth bike bag and a one inch bag bag with different size crank lengths because, you know, you can, there's so many little things that, you don't even if you don't if you get wrong that are just screwed you, know, you yep. put your v-brake bosses in the wrong spot yep. or if the um where the frame comes away from the bottom bracket if it gets wide too quick you know you can't run 165 millimeter cranks there's so yep. many little things and that we've experienced and that we didn't want to go wrong with our stuff so i did fly there once but anyways um yeah that's what's going on here um, it's kind of business as usual our standard standard tour making parts racing bikes so Nothing crazy. And on <laughs> nice. your end, what do you got? So, yeah, I mean, we're finally starting to catch up to our back order. And we I think we got down to we, we fully de uh, delivered everything for you guys. And um, we finally got down to I want to say it was like 150 gears left to make, which we should be, be able to bang out just in like three days. Uh, but we literally ran out of material and <laughs> I got to a point where I had like My one tangent. sheet of uh, regular material that we use and that makes the majority of the products except for four bolt threaded gears. And I was just holding onto it like it was gold. And I was just saving it basically for the online customer orders that were coming through because those are the customers that are going to turn around and say, you know, Hey, we just ordered this, you know, we were had a race this weekend. So right. to try to accommodate those people, we did, we did keep some, stock on the shelf but um you know i had plenty of stuff to make four bolt threaded gears so we basically switched over to as soon as we caught up with our online customer orders and we got as far as we could with our big distributor and dealer orders um which you know we're almost done with very very close to being finished we basically started just you know, loading up the machines and putting stock on the shelf. And uh, we have our four bolt threaded shelf is like almost full to the brim with every size and style. $90, that we make. $90 sprockets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily this stuff is all still the material that I purchased back in October, which is, and, and that's, that was uh, another topic. I mean, I know I discussed it in the past, but um, yeah. it's gotten even There's worse where, but what do you say? Um, there's no good time for a pricing or what, there's always a good time. Uh, you said some little quote about, about stuff that's been there and just give it the new price anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we don't do that either, really. We just kind of run like we have old material that we're running stems on, but our next run, yeah, I mean, it's up 30, 40%. So, yeah, I mean, if people aren't paying attention to it, you better start to because um, I wasn't until you mentioned it. Yeah, it's it is crazy. So, I just negotiated uh, like two days ago for about uh 2000 pounds of four bolt threaded material i got it you know it's not a great price but it's better than the price i was getting and i had to buy a lot of it in order to you know try to get the best price i could but you know i we we basically can't bear that cost increase so we've gone up a little bit in pricing on the four bolt threaded gears across the board for distributors dealers and for retail consumers so, you know, literally just trying to, I'm not trying to make money on like material price increases. Uh, we're just no, trying just to not lose money on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We want to keep, 
like the same kind of profit margins on things. But I mean, it's, it's like, I will say this is the one part of being a business owner that I absolutely, I I like despise. Um, No, it sucks. Like being on the phone and playing games with these material vendors. I had a material vendor that dropped his price by almost 50% because I threatened to go somewhere else. And then, and then yeah. finally I just shot from the hip and I was like, Hey, I'll give Could've you this much. And they were like, okay, if you order it right now, I'll give it to you. I'm like, sure. Here's my credit card. Like yeah. run it, you know? So you could have done that before, but they're scamming you first. They're like yeah. let's scam them with the old material. Let's try to push the old material. So it's probably yeah. the old material, like I said, sitting on the shelf. So like, Oh yeah, this is what it is, but they can squeak down if you bitch, but then they're, that you're going to know that you're stuck next time for sure. But yeah. they're trying to grab you right now with this stuff that they can just maximize. Yeah, it's yeah, it it's everything. It's uh, it's literally they are they see this as an opportunity. You know, the stuff going on in Ukraine, the stuff going on, uh, global supply chain issues, COVID, all that stuff. They just see it as an opportunity, and they're like, supply is limited. We're gonna bump up the price. Somebody will buy it, and that's that's how yeah. they're that's how they're operating right now. Which is it just sucks because I know I've been doing this long enough that I've never seen uh, pricing come down. So. No. You know, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, in in the last 30 days, I think I've purchased about $30,000 worth of aluminum, which is wild because I don't normally buy that much. And um, it's it's I mean, we granted we we're good for a while. We have a lot of material to make our cranks. We have a lot of material to make our bottom brackets. We have. Uh, we will have a lot of material to make gears. Uh, I'm actually probably going to be driving to the truck terminal on Sunday night because I was told today that a delivery is there, but they didn't have anybody to strip it off the tractor trailer truck. And I'm literally going to go there on Sunday night with my pickup truck and have them forklift in, you know, like, cool, Uh, let's do it myself. Yeah. Small, small business. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's because we, we need to be ready to go. Like Monday morning, we're going to start blasting gears out faster than we ever have before. And we're we're like primed, ready to go for it right now. So, yeah. So, you know, speaking of blasting gears, you showed me, um, that cool little, uh, automation you guys are working on with your, uh, intern. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think what else could make it. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I'm not a MIT grad or an engineer, but I I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was really, really cool. So as you know, from running gears, I mean, I, you know, even though I actually, I've been to tangents, I've seen your setup, but it's a very labor intensive process. You know, you make gears pretty much the same way that we do, where you have these uh, eight inch or bigger cut squares of material and you load them into a vise and clamp them down and you do you know, 90 to 95% of your machining on one side, and then you take them out, stack them up, and then you flip them over, and then you cut out the backsides and, uh, you know, put the finishing touches on it and whatnot. So this has always been a position that the operator kind of dictates the production that you have. If the person is wants to really like bust ass really hard then you're gonna ha- start getting like tons of pr- uh production if that person wants to sit down and like you know be on their phone then it's on me as the boss to be on top of that person to make sure that like, things are going so yeah. i've had this idea for a long time to well what if we could take that person or their responsibility for feeding the machine 
because that 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 on uh, 95% machining operation is what is intensive. So I've always had in the back of my mind, like, what if I can design automation to do that for the operator? And then that's going to solve a lot of problems. So at the start of this year, there's a local high school kid who I worked with about four years ago in a local makerspace that I helped out with to start in town. And kid has no idea about BMX, but he's very, very talented and knows, a, like, I kind of treat him like an engineer already, but even though he's still in high school, he's never had an engineering course in his life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he knows how to use Fusion 360, yeah. which is the CAD package that I have. And I taught him how to do cam computer aided manufacturing and, and stuff like that so i basically gave him this project for his he needed a internship class for high school and i gave him this project of, of designing an automation cell for a cnc machine and essentially what it is is a robotic gripper that will come down and grab one plate of aluminum and then pick it up and move it over to what we we're using uh, basically a pallet system, but it's basically like an automated vice. And then we drop the material down, automatically clamp it. We're going to do our machining operations. When the machining is done, we come back in, grab the finished piece, drop it in a finished pile inside the machine, and then just repeat the process. And the, the human operator should in theory, not have to touch the machine until it finishes about 40 gears yeah um because that's going to awesome. be that's going to be probably our stack size inside the machine um, right right and right now uh the video that i showed you is basically the the first instances of us getting it inside the machine and and like proving out the motion and stuff like so that you have to and cut a bunch of you have to cut up your can and everything like to mount it and put all kinds of fixtures on top and stuff uh, not too too much um because we have this you like hold. very we have this very large air cylinder that like basically the gripper comes all the way down from the top of travel and we had to cut a hole in the top of the sheet metal of the machine to allow yeah. that to extend out but other than that we're gonna be maybe popping a couple of holes for brackets and what that's not bad yeah so it's not bad at all but um you know it's basically using uh five there's something inside these Haas machines called M code relays. And basically you type a command, which for the commands that we run, it's M 51 through M 55. When you type that command and hit cycle start, what it does is it turns on a relay inside of the, the control unit, which is basically like turning on a switch. Right. And uh, that switch we have directly wired to an air solenoid that is allowing an air piston to to get pressure or to to basically send air through one side of the piston or the other side and we're the whole system's pretty much pneumatic but it's pretty sweet that we've already demonstrated the basic motions of coming down grabbing picking up dropping down clamping and removing but now there's going to be a lot of work in yeah. how do you program this correctly because right right you know like and, and any of my render problem i'm just thinking like our gears make tons of small chips and how are you going to stack plates on top of plates inside the can without clearing the chips because you know part a big part of the human part is clearing all the chips when you're flipping parts over and but you're not flipping anything but you're we're gonna not going to be flipping anything you're going to yeah. stack something and there's not going to be a clean surface where unless you're putting it way 
to the right hand side of the can away from cool. yeah well it doesn't uh, matter when we're done machining it's not going to matter if there's chips on top of the gears when you stack them up and then okay. when you in theory when you put them all in you would be putting them in with no chips in between yeah so the, end, the end is no big deal it's when you're stacking them back up and you're blowing coolant and chips all over you know you're going to be have a coating of chips and coolant on top of your next pc stack and in a couple is probably okay but once you get 15 20 30 you're starting to get some significant weight i, I just wonder if it's going to you know scratch the material up or but it shouldn't be too bad i guess yeah but some things that we have that i'm not sure if you guys are utilizing right now is uh we have chip fans in all of our machines so we have this little four bladed propeller that is spring loaded and when you want to you know wash off or not wash off but when you want to uh, dry off your part or get rid of all the chips you basically call you always leave this tool in your carousel you call up this chip fan spin it up to ten thousand rpm and bring it real close okay and go. it's literally like a it's it's like a high powered fan inside your machine <laughs> and you just sweep it back and forth and gotcha it does a really good job of uh instead of the operator it's another like a uh, little efficiency improvement thing that we've done here in the shop uh, where yeah. we program that kind of stuff in. And then the operator isn't sitting there with an air gun, just sitting there blowing off air right, right, right. on the parts to clean them off. So they, these are pretty affordable. You can actually, uh, you know, pick them up at Haas, uh, the yeah. Haas tooling website. And uh, they're we really, stop, really we cool. Flip, so we stop, we flip right now. So the human has to be there, but yeah, yeah. That, if in an automation situation or, or something, if you, needed it that's kind of cool yeah yeah, sure. yeah so the way that we've done our i guess machining here in general is we have one machine that's dedicated to that step one process we have one machine that's dedicated to the step two process we have another machine that's dedicated to engraving and then yeah, that yeah, machine yeah. does other stuff also but i think it's going to work the only problem is that i'm running some cnc programs that are legit i programmed in 2006 and i've never touched them ever again so yeah. we're going to have to go through that process all over again of reprogramming <laughs> things. But now the only thing is now, like when I started the business, obviously on day one, it's like, well, what am I going to make? Let me make a 44 tooth gear. So I make one program. Right. And then the evolution of that one program to now I have 600 programs later yeah. has changed quite a bit. So I can yeah. take all of my performance upgrades and put them in version 600 now. Yeah. And, uh, so the so next time around, I think this is going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be very, very dialed on the next generation of stuff that we program. But hopefully by the end of the summer, we have the, the, the core basics working where everything is picking up, putting down machining and, and, and putting in the finish stack. And if we can demonstrate that um, by the end of summertime before this kid, uh, he got accepted to Purdue University. So he'll be going away to Indiana. If we can get this all demonstrated by the end of summer, probably going to be placing an, an order sometime in September for a brand new. I think I'm going to go with the, the Haas DT machine, which is a really fast, a really fast spindle speed and a really fast travel. 20 position tool changer, kind of comparable to what you have for the VM3. But I think the rapids on it are very, very fast. Yeah, um, it's so, minus a SS. So. Yeah. Oh, so it's 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 close to the SS. Yeah. Or yeah, I have to look at the specs. But um, yeah. So that should be interesting, you know. And uh, if that happens, then we'll be probably taking delivery of that machine maybe sometime in November or December. Awesome. And then that gives us time to do get all of the programming and tooling and Give everything. Give some more upgrades. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we got to keep uh, <laughs> Kevin Magnuson going. You know. That's so. it. That's. All a perfect <laughs> position really <laughs> exactly the perfect segue into the 
part three yeah uh f1 so uh since you and i have last talked uh there's been the australian grand prix i think we actually talked before saudi arabia so you know for those following you know ferrari's doing phenomenal right Killing now it. they're uh they're um I, I will say it's kind of funny today i was watching and uh charles leclerc is Char. i think uh charles charles leclerc Char. is uh, <laughs> if, if i you're gonna go back you gotta go to his facebook and you gotta go look at this he looks identical to cam moore uh who races for supercross bmx who used to race for me uh, uh they they are like <laughs> doppelgangers i'm telling you it's every I've never, time i I've see never it. noticed which i know cam i mean i know who he is but that's funny i'll have, <laughs> yeah. I'll have to look <laughs> yeah for sure take a look at it every time i see it i'm like oh my god this is crazy but that's yeah ferrari's funny. kicking ass red bull uh you know they're having reliability problems i guess which the latest was a fuel line in the engine so something so simple something so and then literally christian horner said they have they had tens of thousands of kilometers on that part before it failed so yeah so we'll see what happens but uh did you get a chance to watch qualifying today i did i watched well i watched i watched most of it and then i had to watch the highlight but yeah it was uh well first back to australia just uh, if you're a mclaren fan mclarens have seemed to be back where they kind of belong uh what were they would they get uh fifth and sixth in yeah. australia so not a not a bad run for them after being taken a Haas' spot there for the first couple races. Everybody was really really nervous and really stressing out over there at the at the McLaren camp for sure. Yeah, they just yeah. seem like they're frustrated right now. Um, yeah, it just that, seems like that seems porpoising like has to be so hard to drive the car. Yeah, there's while well, reading and watching a bunch of YouTube stuff, they're saying especially if it's in the higher speed corners, uh, yeah. if it's picking up there, that's a big problem. Some of them, you know, it's when it's in the straightaways, it's like, okay, we can deal with it. But once it's, if it's still carrying over into the high speed corners and it's a big problem. Yeah. There's really good uh, slow motion video today uh, because Mercedes did not make it out of uh, Q2 no. and they God. are violently bobbing up and down. I mean, they, these guys have to get like, you know, headaches or something. I don't know. It's just like, it's like head banging. Or yeah. they got to be blasting some like, like quiet riot or something in their headphones. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, the only way yeah, to get aren't, aren't the most comfortable. I mean, it's just a, a rigid everything, you know, <sighs> inside. There's no cushions in the seats. There's no cushions in the head. And, you know, like, what I got a whole one inch or so of travel. It's uh, it's kind of yeah. pretty violent at two miles an hour. But yeah, it was just uh, good to, good to see McLaren back. I, I like McLaren. It's like I'm a fan of the sport just in general, so I don't really care who wins, who does what. Um, I like to, I like to watch people get pitted against each other or, you know, like the teams doing this and that. So I just like the whole sport as a, just in general. So, but McLaren was my like, you know, best of the rest favorites for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's like Danny Rick, just funny, uh, Lando's, you know, just a funny, cute little kid. So I just, I like following those guys and just make sure they're all right. And man, the first couple of races was depressing. <laughs> like, I felt so bad for him, but it seems like they've cleaned up. And then even in, uh, in Q, Q, uh, qualifying today, the Lando got third and what was Rick around uh, five or six or something. So yeah, yeah. yeah. They're definitely yeah. doing better today. Yeah. It's tough to see, especially after that last season of drive to survive. I think it was the first time they really showed, uh, Daniel Ricardo's like frustration. Right. Right. You know, because yeah, the first couple of seasons, worse. you know, like the, the very first season, it opens up with Daniel Ricardo like sessioning a, uh, trails. Yeah, and I'm like, well, this guy's awesome. You know, mm -hmm. here he is, like blasting dirt jumps and stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but then you know making the jump from red bull to renault to mclaren like he's obviously he's getting older he's this guy is trying to get like he could see like all right you know there, there's going to be a problem with red bull and their engine in the year that he left and he probably should have stayed but at the end probably should have stayed. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, Horner, Horner was saying he didn't want to you know battle he just he kind of yeah horner's opinion he's he was didn't want to fight he didn't want to deal with Max. He just wanted to just go be his own guy. So, so it depends. I, I don't know. You know, was it was it that? Or I doubt it was like the, any foreseeable engine problem, but more of just he wasn't comfortable there anymore. Kind of seemed like. But you know, that's just, I think it was one of these things. He probably he probably felt because uh, he was there with Sebastian Vettel, and Sebastian Vettel had won those four titles. Right. And then when Sebastian left to go to Ferrari. Danny probably felt like I'm the number okay, one guy. now now I'm the number one guy. Exactly. But then Max comes up from Toro Rosso and it's like, oh no, you know, Max is actually gonna be a better driver. And yeah, they, yeah. they probably showed him that favoritism real early. And yeah. Danny Rick just got frustrated and you yeah. know, was like, forget it. Like, but to go to Renault, I mean, it was just oh, right. kind of crazy. They were, but, uh, they were you know just not doing the best already. <laughs> but a good thing he got out of there, and then he just hasn't seemed to really get much done in McLaren. Like last year, he really struggled and you know, struggled with the car and himself and a lot of that stuff, which uh, it's just sad to see. But seems like they're coming around this last couple of races. Hopefully they can carry it on and see how that sprint goes tomorrow. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I'm just glad to see them back. And and then uh, it seemed Botas just beat the Mercedes so awesome. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love seeing that he makes it's it so in there awesome. every time. Oh, so good. And George oh, Russell has just got to be sitting there like, come on. Like, I came from a team where I was scoring, you know, in Q2 yeah, yeah. and Q3. Like, they almost didn't get out of Q3 today. It was crazy. <laughs> you mean, well, yo, Q, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they went, where are they at? Actually, I put it up. Yeah, 11th and 13th or something. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, I mean, Schumacher beat Hamilton, and that's insane. <laughs> and, then, and then your boy, K-Mag, with a spin and a four. Oh, dude, it, this is like the greatest story ever. You're talking about a guy who you know, they're interviewing him and he looks like he's got whiplash and he's like rotating around because his neck is not trained for Formula One right now. Yeah. And he literally has like a whole bag of KT tape like on his neck. <laughs> holding shit together is that today like right now or before no that was in australia like if okay you look yeah, at, first, if you yeah, look at any of the interviews and stuff he's like he's like he looked like he has whiplash like he uh, he rotates his whole body and he's just like yeah man i my neck it's just not there yet <laughs> i saw danny rick like pushing on is that her? he's like oh yeah dude that's bad it's bad <laughs> the, on the like his second race yeah, yeah, he but, came in. He didn't have preseason, nothing. He just came into what Bahrain, like, okay, day before, let's ride. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like today in Imola, he's, you know, kicking ass again. And it's just, yeah. it's just awesome to see, especially with everything that, you know, Haas kind of went through with uh, the whole sponsorship falling out and stuff like that. Well, and just, and just their decision last year to not, uh, not spend one dollar on the car. We got two rookie drivers. They're just learning to drive around with themselves for a yeah. year. Like, that's yeah. got to be. That's got to be rough. Even if you know that's what you're doing, it's still going to be rough just kind of going around the track by yourself. Then halfway through, starting to get lapped. I mean, that's as a you know race driver, they've all won their, you know, F in F3 and F2, and they've done their thing. And it's just to get just your ass kicked and have no, I don't know what that, I don't know. It's got to be a really interesting feeling. But then, yeah, the whole thing with Mazpin and dad and the peace out and bringing Maga. And then 
and then everything's turned around. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> and Mazepin has just got to be sitting there, fuming. yeah, just like what the fuck. But still, like... I mean, he wasn't even better than. I mean, he couldn't drive better than a uh, Schumacher. Schumacher. I mean, yeah. So I mean, I mean, yeah. I've said I mean like five times, but uh, it is it is pretty it is pretty amazing to see that. Uh, you know, it just goes to show you that like if you give like these guys are so they're so high level and when you give them a car that can perform you have somebody that pretty much came off the couch like like kevin magnuson is a good driver you know when he comes off the couch and you give him a a car that can compete and he's beating mercedes and you know pretty much in you know vying for like best of the rest right now yeah. And uh, it's a great story. Um, and Haas is getting, you know, more advertisement out of this than they could ever imagine. I noticed yeah. today on the end of the wing, because they have very little sponsors right now, right. it actually says like HaasTooling.com. Oh, really? Is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The it's hilarious. They've been doing that for like a year now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, didn't. No, it's, it's good to see. I might, I might just buy a machine just so they can bring more upgrades, dude, this <laughs> mid-year. More upgrades. Let's go. <laughs> I, I can't believe that Haas is outperforming mercedes i mean the the best engineers on the planet like besides spaceship people and haas is beating them like come on dude like yeah oh, did you see you that's see what, what they're you see what they're calling haas right now no the white ferrari oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did see that <laughs> I, I did see that but it is pretty it is pretty telling that you know the top of the grid is like ferrari based engines and the bottom of the grid is mercedes based engines how does it change so much uh, it's wild it is wild yeah <laughs> But also, I think, uh, you know, all these reports of talent leaving Mercedes, I think it may have really hurt them. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they've had a lot that. of personnel that was poached. You know, they, they, they pulled the George Costa in the title contention years where they went and hired all the, 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 the big guns to their team. But um, all, these, all these people are uh, left Mercedes, and I think that that left a void in what's going on. And um, yeah, There's got to be a reason, right? I mean, it didn't just... There's not just no reason. There got to be something. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I try to find. I try. Yeah, I watch a bit of YouTube's after each race and just different storylines and different people's input. And yeah, there, it's there's not really any good reasons yet. Another another one good to see up uh, in the top ten is uh, Vettel. Finally, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. He had a tough. Uh, got COVID at the beginning and uh, had Hulkenberg driving for him <laughs> and stuff. But uh, yeah, that so team seems like. Uh, the, the Aston Martin team, um, it, it seems like they're catching a lot of flack right now for um, other teams criticizing them, saying that money money doesn't buy you performance. So yeah, a lot <laughs> yeah, of I'm people curious. have been saying that. So yeah, they're not they're not doing well by any no. means for all the expectations for sure. But yeah, um, they're definitely not I, the pink Mercedes anymore. No, so. <laughs> but it was cool to see Sebastian have a good run today. Awesome. Yeah, I like Sebastian Vettel. He, he was uh, one of my favorite drivers. Also, I like these guys who just have personality and right. You know, and, that, and that's me too. I'm more. I'm a fan of just sport and the guys. And uh, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter to me who who does what. It doesn't affect my life. So yeah, I just like to have. I just like to have fun with it. A couple of years back, there was a press conference, and uh, Sebastian Vettel was taking questions and. There was all this, like, you know, Lewis Hamilton's talking about stuff and whatever. And, and, uh, it was hilarious because, uh, Sebastian steps up and says, I think it was when he was racing for Red Bull 
and Red Bull was trying to catch Mercedes basically at this point. Lewis had already been dominant, but uh, Sebastian had had piped up and said, "Hey, would it be okay if I attend your like engineering, uh, you know, meeting?" And Lewis, <laughs> Lewis, just sitting there getting called out, he's like, "Sure, sure, sure, Sebastian, just show up and it'll be fine." And then, you know, after the after the press conference, they show Sebastian like trying to knock on the door of Mercedes, saying, -uh. "Lewis, Lewis told me I could come here." <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's just stuff like that. That's pretty. They funny. had a post to him today. Looking at the uh, one of the cars, I don't remember the back of somebody's car again. Inspector Seb, <laughs> he's always just checking everybody's shit out. Yeah, I don't which one, I don't remember which one it was. I have to. Hey, uh, have you seen? Uh, there was a couple of pretty good. Uh, I think I may have sent you a photo, but there was a really good photo of the underside of one of the cars. I forget which one it was. No, I think but... I sent you that. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, like. Like the ground that's effect. the whole ground effect and, yeah. and the amount of curvature and, and it's like wild. The, it's wild. Like there there are some teams doing some really funky stuff underneath these cars to try to get that aerodynamic advantage. And uh yeah, just such a great thing about the sport is just so much little fine-tuned details. So yeah, I, I watch the aerodynamic YouTube once in a while, and it just gets over my head. I'm like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah. get it, but then then it's like kind of you're not getting it anymore. And I, it's like you understand the basic concepts and all that, but then if the ones that get super detailed, I'm like, okay, that's I'm not gonna know what you're talking about anymore. I'm gonna find something else. I'll find a new one to watch. <laughs> yeah, a couple of the good ones are uh, on the broadcast. They've brought usually during qualification uh, a couple of weeks back. Now I know at the first two races they did this. They had a guy who I'm not sure who he works for, but. He demonstrated what porpoising is basically doing with yeah. a, he did it with a spoon and like a leaf blower, which yeah, is pretty I, cool. I, I and then one. and then the next week he showed up with like a little mock front end and painted on um so they use this stuff called Flowviz, and um it's basically a really thick, like oily paint that doesn't stick. And they paint it on all of the aerodynamic surfaces on the front leading edge of the of everything. And then they they'll go around and drive the car, and then you'll see this flow viz. Um, it, it just looks like uh, almost like you just waxed your car, and it's not like dry yet or whatever. You went through like a, a car wash, and you see all of the water lines and stuff like that. Right, right, right. So then that is a way of them basically getting like wind tunnel information, but in the real world and they can yeah. see based on how the swirls are attaching to the, the, this paint on the, on the surface of the car, they can see if it's doing what they think it should be doing. And then they just wipe it down and clean it off or whatever. Yeah, but, do it again. And yeah. It trips you out all the, all the vortices that they say it all creates all the yep. little freaking typhoons. And the, yep. uh, you know, you see all the, the mesh, in behind the front wheels, the mesh on the whole back, and yep. like what kind of data that's gathering. I'd love to see like what, like the numbers those engineers look at. Those you know, hundred engineers is freaking insane. Yeah, it's it's wild, but I, like spacecraft. Yeah, if if you watch some of the, pre it's usually they do it. They'll do it in the practices and stuff where you where you can see if you see a car that has like fluorescent yellow paint on it, and you're like, oh, that doesn't, that's not right. Uh, that's that Flovis, but right. something that this guy showed on this segment, which I had never seen before because you wouldn't, because you wouldn't literally be able to tell the level that these guys go to to hide their performance advantages. They have a Flovis that you can't see. It's clear. Oh, so the only way that they can tell is that 
when the car comes in the pit or, or uh, when it boxes, they have, to, they have to shine a black light on it. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is like going, because obviously if, if it's a fluorescent yellow Flovis paint and you're just sitting out there on the track and you, you know, inspector sub comes by and snaps some pictures, right. you know, you can start trying to figure out what's going on. And these guys are using an ultraviolet based paint that you know will will illuminate when it when it has a, a black light on it and it's just wild man um it's again like one of the reasons why i love the sport but you know that's yeah, good <laughs> it's, stuff it's definitely cool but uh yeah so i think that you know i think we should be probably about 60 minutes in or so i think this was a pretty good uh episode hopefully hopefully who, people before, before we go who do you got for the sprint tomorrow you going with your boy I'm going, my boy. He's starting in the lead, right. Max Verstappen. And uh, <laughs> right. you gonna you taking Cam Moore for uh, for the win? I'm gonna have to. I don't think anyone else is really gonna get there. But, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to see old Mag up on the just because you know we run Hawses. Love to see Mag on the podium for the sprinter. That'd yeah, man, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's definitely a good podium. Uh, you yeah. know, Max, Charles Leclerc, and K, K Mag. Let's try to get him up there. That'd be awesome. Got Landon to deal with Fernando. I don't see. I mean, I'm looking at the qualifying. You know, Max and Charles, Lane One, Lando and K Mag. I mean, if K Mag can get out, then you got Fernando and Danny. I don't see Danny Rick being a threat up to those guys. Fernando really either. I mean, Fernando can drive, but I don't see the car being able to do that. Yeah. Sergio might move up a couple. I don't see Valtteri doing much damage. Vettel no. probably drop back. Carlos probably gained a couple, and then then who really cares? I guess that? it really see, comes see down to it comes down to how people really do in this weather. Whether the weather is going to hold or not, that's going to be the big uh, true. You know, I thought I heard him say it was supposed to be better, but I'm not sure. And it is yeah. Europe, so you never know. Yeah, <sighs> the the qualifying looked like a shit show. Like it did yeah, not look man, fun man. at all. It was cold yeah. and wet. <laughs> yeah, and then dried out. So, then switch. Okay, switch back. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. man, I think we can call it. I think the seven fans. Do we up to seven fans now? Up from three from last time. I'm gonna tell you right now that we're we're trying we're trending number one in Hungary. We have one. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Hold, hold on a second. Let me uh, let me open up my stats here. Uh, oh, not God. Hungary. Not Hungary. I have no stats. We I have. have no stats. I'll have to show it to you. Uh, we uh. have one listener in Uruguay. Uruguay. So, All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're killing Africa. It. Where is that? Uh, I'm not sure where I that want to is. say it's Africa or something. <laughs> it's oh, funny man, looking dude. at the stats on the podcast and stuff where stuff comes from. Obviously, the United States is dominating and, and Australia is in number two. But um, yeah, you know, it's definitely U.S. based. But, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I was really expecting when you finally posted it to your gigantic tangent Instagram with like <laughs> 50,000 you know yeah. listeners that we were just gonna point eight thousand we were gonna start like like sponsors were gonna start reaching out stuff nah. like that but uh that's yeah. the kids man they don't want to hear this shit yeah you need to uh you need to, to up your promotion game here um right I can, I can boost it it's it's in uh south america uruguay it's oh. just northwest northeast of uh argentina well, thank, thank you to the one person in Uruguay <laughs> who listens to the podcast. What's up? So. We're, big shout out to Uruguay, our <laughs> listener. <laughs> oh, oh, man, this is great. Well, but yeah, cool, hopefully man. hopefully uh, the fans like the upgrades we brought. And, um, a couple upgrades. You my know. new mic, my, head, my headphones. For sure. And, uh, if anybody's got, got feedback, hit us up. 
publicly, hit him private, up. whatever. Hit him up. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hit but him, George. You said that. I, ain't got t- I ain't got time for that shit. You you told me a story about how we brought a I new did. listener to F1. So. I did. I did. I did. That was cool. Yeah. If it's a cool so. story, I'll listen. But yeah. For sure. Relay through, relay through George. He, like, he's got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. I got a one-year-old I'm dealing with. <laughs> hey, man. I got two. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've got him half time. You so. can yell at him. I do. Yeah. I take I a cran away. I have a conniption fit, dude. Uh, you got you to gotta <laughs> break that cycle now. Get the cigarettes out of her hand. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right, man. Have I'll talk to one. you. All right, buddy. See ya. Later.